today on Ag News Daily. For, for this year, I need to need to make sure I have access to capital and I don't don't take too many chances. But as you look long term, what what changes? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another Ag News Daily podcast here. Delaney Howell joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, it is a slow news day today, but it is also Earth Day. So I guess um, happy Earth Day if you celebrate that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, whether or not we celebrate it or they celebrate it, farmers are out there today doing their part to improve the earth. So I would say Earth Day is worth celebrating for agriculture, even if it is, you know, kind of a BS thing. (laughs) It is kind of a BS thing. You're right. Yeah, but, you know, we wouldn't have an industry if it weren't for caring for the earth. So I know a lot of growers out there are doing what they can to, you know, better manage their nutrient applications. They're doing stuff to make sure soil stays on their property and all of those things are making the earth a better place. So happy Earth Day, America's farmers. Happy Earth Day, especially for those of you out in the tractor planting today. Absolutely. We've got planting underway in a lot of different places. I know some folks are still working on uh, finishing up that spring field work, perhaps applying some anhydrous, but uh, progress on this year's crop is underway. It certainly is. It certainly is. But um, we had some breaking news come out yesterday afternoon after we recorded the podcast, Mike. And that is big news for the grain industry. Bungie has agreed to sell 35 U.S. grain elevators to a company called Zeno Grain Corp. This company, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing their name correctly, Zeno, is a New Orleans-based company. It was established there in 1979. However, as the name would maybe allude to, it is actually a foreign company. And this Zeno company that is located in New Orleans sends a staple of U.S. food grains and soybeans for production of compound feed to their firm's feed mills in Japan. So it is a Japanese company that has bought 35 U.S. grain elevators in the United States. And do we know how much Bunky sold those for? Was that mm. included in the uh, press release? That certainly was not included. Okay, gotcha. Well, you know, it's interesting. We're going to see a lot of transitions in the foreign, or excuse me, not foreign, but uh, physical grain storage and handling industry here over the next year. This year is really shaking things up. And we got another report about how this industry is being shaken up on the physical side from the EIA. The, uh, the Energy Administration released their weekly production, ethanol production report. And it is chock full of terrible news for America's corn growers. We had the lowest week of ethanol production in history. Number of barrels of ethanol produced last week were 3.941. Um, the, uh, that, that's unbelievably low. Unfortunately, ordinarily, you know, when we hear low production, we think, okay, that should be beneficial for ethanol prices. If we're not producing as much, hopefully that means we're drawing down stockpiles and, you know, we'll be ready for a rebound when people start driving again. Sadly, it doesn't look like that is the case because in addition to the lowest weekly production in history, EIA also reported we have the largest stockpile of ethanol in storage in history. We've got 27, uh, excuse me, 
27.689 million barrels of ethanol in storage. So that means we do not have the, uh, the drawdown of stockpiles that we would like to see with low production. This is a double-edged sword and both of the edges are coming after the corn industry. Usually we would say, all right, we need to see the driving industry get back. We need to see people out moving around so we can start drawing this down. But unfortunately, uh, President Trump, of course, has not been a friend of agriculture at all in his administration, and especially when it comes to ethanol. And uh, the EPA recently released refiners of a lot of their ethanol obligations under the RFS. So even if people were this quarantine were lifted and Tennessee said they are going to lift the vast majority of their restrictions on May 1st, even if this were restrict, re lifted nationwide, if refiners aren't blending ethanol, we should continue to see stockpiles climb and it will be a long time before uh, the ethanol industry climbs out of this mess unless Trump, you know, really does a 180 and uh, mm -hmm. gets these refiners to start following the law again. Or offers some sort of, I guess, assistance or bailout, but it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. And speaking of bailout agreements, we saw the Senate approve an extension of the Paycheck Protection Program, which would give the program an additional $320 billion, which is almost as large as the initial portion of the funding, which remember back was $349 billion. So this additional $320 billion will be eligible to folks who work in the ag industry as well as other small businesses. But apparently they've specifically put in language that would allow people who work in agriculture to understand this does apply to them because as you recall mike i'm sure there was some confusion about whether or not agriculture could apply for this funding they also so this total bill was 484 billion 320 of that is going just to paycheck protection program the rest of it will be divvied up among a couple of different programs specifically congress has authorized that ag operations with fewer than 500 people are eligible for economic injury disaster loans, which are separate from the Paycheck Protection Program. So it sounds essentially like they've created a special pot of money just for agriculture. Oh, interesting. Okay, we'll have to dig into the rules and regulations on that money as uh, more details come out, Delaney. Yes, we might have to have uh, Glenn back on the podcast to explain some of the newer pieces that were released. However, it's not completely passed yet. We've got to see the House take it up, which they are expecting to vote on it on Thursday of this week. So we'll hopefully have some more clarity then. Absolutely. And I apologize, folks. I'm talking with my mouth full. Didn't your mom my ever mouth? teach you that that was rude? Mm -hmm. But only when you're sitting next to me. You can't see me, so it's fine. Oh, okay. But what I'm doing, Delaney, as I'm eating pork. And listeners, get out there and buy pork now, I think is the moral of this story. Tyson Foods, in addition to closing their Worthington, Minnesota plant indefinitely uh, Monday, Monday or yesterday, announced they're closing their Logansport, Indiana plant indefinitely late last night. And it was just announced earlier today that they are closing their pork plant in Waterloo, Iowa. This is huge. Those three plants produce about 15% of U.S. pork, and they're all closing. This is going to severely back up hogs, uh, finish hogs on farms. Right now, a lot of pork growers are feeding uh, diets that basically won't allow the pigs to put on weight, uh, restricted diets so they can just maintain these hogs at 290, 300 pounds while they wait for hook space to come open. 
this is going to severely disrupt the food supply as this coronavirus thing drags on. Earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, gosh, I'm sick of this quarantine, uh, Iowa's governor, Kim Reynolds, who has been under a lot of pressure to implement a shelter-in-place order, and Delaney, you're probably more familiar with all this stuff than I am living in Iowa, she came out yesterday and said one of her administration's top priorities is keeping meat processing plants open. The good news was, Delaney, of course, your Tyson plant in Columbus Junction is back in operation, Um, but across the country and the state, we're seeing these plants continue to slow down and stop. Yeah, so I didn't watch Kim's or Governor Reynolds' update yesterday, but I did see some things on Twitter and Facebook and elsewhere. You're right about her focus on keeping those facilities open. She also released this new program she's calling Test Iowa, which is essentially supposed to prioritize those who have been exposed to COVID-19 or have symptoms of COVID-19 to be tested first, but I think a special emphasis even more so placed on those people who do work in our food supply industry. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's going to be weird. I'm just curious. I kind of want to do a deep dive and maybe I will just go ahead and do this just because I'm curious. I really am interested to know now with all of these facilities, how much pork is that that's offline? I mean, I know we know the percentage, but in terms of pounds or number of hogs or whatever, like let's put that in real term numbers. Well, and a lot of it's up in the air right now because so many of these plants are currently operating on reduced capacity and we're kind of waiting to see what the throughput looks like. And these plants that are coming back online, like Columbus Junction, Mm -hmm. coming back online at reduced capacity. So none of them or I guess very few plants, are operating at nameplate, which is, you know, the numbers we can all go and pull up right now. So what they're actually processing versus what they could process, yeah, we don't know yet, but I'm sure those numbers will come out. I'm sure we'll get that information at some point. I assume we sure will, but other information we're waiting on is this now expanded investigation into the beef industry and the way that packers are essentially giving prices to producers. Purdue is going to come before the Commodities Futures Trading Commission or the CFTC today and testify in the wake of all of these market moving events, including, of course, the beef packing plant fire in Holcomb, Kansas, as well as now the interesting movements we've seen in the beef complex as related to COVID-19. So this is all part of that investigation that they are doing to try and see, you know, our prices being manipulated by packers or elsewhere. Well, we'll have to see how this all shakes out. We certainly will. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, I am out of news except for a quick look at the markets. What else do you have for us? Yeah, you know, I think I am out as well, Mike. So let's uh, just go ahead and actually wait. I lied. I have one other quick update here because this is something that will obviously maybe not impact row crop farmers, but definitely dairy producers and specialty producers, and that is visa workers. President Trump is pushing really hard to, and has actually announced, the suspension of immigration into the United States. As of Monday night, they're tightening border security because of the threat of COVID-19. They don't want people bringing in the virus into the country and also leaving the country with that virus. So he said this will not affect H-2A visa workers 
we still should have a steady supply of those people that are here in the country that can work and are not going to be expected to leave. So he doesn't anticipate that it will affect our labor supply. But uh, I think really that's something we've got to wait and see for sure on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's smart that the administration is going to allow laborers that are here to maybe shift around, you know, if your dairy no longer needs you, okay, you can go and pick crops, you know, if you need work under a, a visa program. But I'm curious as to how growers who need labor are, are going to connect with right. farmers that are releasing labor. So I, mean, I, I, hope, I hope they put together some kind of a matching program for, yeah. for help. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know any insight, if you were an ag labor lawyer or a, you know, hirer, uh, let us know. Keep us in touch. Find us on the web at Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Insta. Absolutely, Michael. Why don't you take us into today's markets? I certainly will. Let's make sure my markets are updated. I got to verify that these numbers are correct because, folks, there is green on the screen when we look at corn. Despite the, the bad EIA update, corn is bargain basement right now, and it appears that some folks are seeing it at a value, and we saw buyers move into the market today. Looking at corn, the bay was up eight and a quarter at 317 and a half. The December new crop up five and a half cents at 337 and a half. In soybeans, the May contract was up four and a half cents at 835 and a quarter, while November was down one and a quarter to close at 846 and three quarters. Looking at the wheat market, still under pressure like we've seen uh, really since yesterday. The May contract was down three and three quarter cents at 543 even. These December new crop down two and a quarter to close at 5.53 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we continue to see live cattle under pressure. The concern about growing carcass weights remains. June live cattle were down 15 cents at 83.92 and a half. The August contract also dropped 15 to trade at 88.35. Mixed trade in feeder cattle with the May down seven and a half cents at 116.67 half. The August, however, up 30 to close at 127.20. Mixed trade in lean hogs, that strength in the front month continues as futures are climbing to catch up with what little cash trade there is. The May contract was up almost the limit, was up $2.95 at 47.22 half, while over the June was down 20 cents to close at 47.90. Looking over at the dairy market, finally got some green for our friends in the milk business. The April class three milk contract was up four cents at 13.41, while the May was up 13 at 10.52. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Well, we are chatting with Brian Philpot, who is the CEO of Ag America Lending, one of the largest, I believe, if not the largest non-banking lending firm. And we're chatting with Brian today about how COVID-19 changes the agricultural lending scene. Well, for today's interview segment, we are chatting with Brian Philpot, CEO of Ag America. Brian, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today. Great to be with you. Great to be with you, Delaney. So, Brian, before we get to the nitty-gritty, the brass tacks of talking about COVID-19 and the impacts it's had across the ag sector from your perspective, tell our listeners a little bit more about Ag America in case they've not heard of it. Sure. Uh, love to. Ag America is a nationwide agricultural real estate lender. Um, we're not a bank. Uh, we're a, a mortgage REIT. And uh, our specialty is is um, providing capital to agricultural operators that, that own land. Um, ranchers, row crop, um, permanent props, crops, um, facilities, 
we pro we provide financing to those um, who need to to need to finance the operations then. Well, Brian, let's talk a little bit about ag land purchases. We have seen uh, commodity prices decrease pretty well across the board over the past five or six years. And yet, from my perspective, it looks like land values are holding strong. When you look at it from a lending perspective, what has changed since the the peak of the ag cycle in 2013? Um well, we've seen some softening in areas, right, in terms of, of real estate sales and real estate uh, real estate values. Um, we had areas, especially in the Midwest, if you look at at, at valuation tre uh, trends that that really shot up through the the commodity boom and have have certainly leveled off, did not uh, soften. Well, there's other areas of the United States that didn't see those values. Other other areas, if you look on a state by state or regional um, basis, their their real estate was affected by the the um, credit bubble and before 2008, and values in those areas came down and have been held pretty steady for the past 10 years. So, in a, in in a lot of cases, the value. Uh, in a particular area and uh, commodity depends on right where you're at uh, and what it is. I think since in the areas that were affected by the the the, the commodity um, uh, uh, upswing over the over you know up to three four years ago, um, I think the values have held strong primarily because we've had low interest rates and there's a lot of capital out there. Uh, you know, there's not just we've seen consolidation in the farming sector. We've had our, a lot of large farms that have have been purchased. A lot of a lot of large farm operations have purchased other farms. There's less farms than we had five six years ago, and a lot of the big reason for that is because there's a a lot of capital out there and been been looking to invest in the farmland area. So I think you combine those two things um, together, and it's a reason why values have held up. And then, Brian, when you kind of fast forward to present day, there have been, I think nobody could have expected really what was going to happen with COVID-19. And commodities continue to face a lot of pressure in both livestock and grain industries. How do you see current day COVID-19 changing or reshaping the value we see in the ag sector? And how do you see it changing ag lending? Um, well, I, I think to answer that question, you have to you have to think. All right, you know, how is it changing things here, short term through the through the end of the year? And what we what we're seeing and we're advising people is to make sure that you have access to capital, and you're not taking unnecessary risks until we have more clarity. Right? We need more clarity on on what long term uh is going to be different right so how could we have anticipated that that you know roughly half of our food supply that went to restaurants and hotels and the like uh just you know that that supply uh vanished and was having to be redirected into other areas it you know couldn't have seen that and obviously it's a reason why we're dealing with with a lot of uh volatility and, and pricing problems and like you said beef, dairy, but um, also in vegetables, uh, fruits, uh, you know, as well. Um, 
I, you, you couldn't have seen it and uh, planned on it. But then the question becomes, uh, as you look out beyond this year, you know, I need to for, for this year, I need to need to make sure I have access to capital and I don't don't take too many chances. But as you look long term, what what changes? Well, I think a lot of it depends on how long the pandemic lasts and what what things on a long-term basis are going to stick. I mean, are people not going to eat out, not travel because the pandemic, the, you know, uh, the uh, herd thing, the, the herd, um, the herd effect and, or the immunity doesn't last long. All of those things are going to factor into it. And, you know, the time will tell if you look on a continuum of everything gets back to normal to everything has changed. We need more clarity until we, we start thinking about what the, the long-term ramifications are going to be. Well, but, and Brian, you know this as well as anybody else, growers out there are already struggling to meet their current obligations. Have you seen an uptick in growers seeking relief from uh, payments for this year at least? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there, there's definitely been more. Is it what I call it overwhelming? And we've got, um, you know, a, a, a major default crisis on our hands, uh, similar to what you're having in commercial real estate, and potentially residential. No, we're, we're not, we're not seeing that. You know, we, uh, the farmers were having a tough time. They, they had a few, they, they had some rough years heading into this and then this compound compounds things. I think, um, I think one, um, a lot of farmers that have been running have been running thin and, um, you know, are, are, are um, I wouldn't call it well positioned, but at least um, ha- have been conditioned to for, for not dealing and, you know, with with higher prices and running full bore and dealing with a lot of risk. On the, the other hand, I think a lot of people are waiting to see what the government the government response to this means, like how much, you know, in that particular commodity, how much uh, government support are they going to get and what does it look like and when do they get it? All of that, that's factoring into the decision of, you know, what is my debt obligation? What are my other obligations? What a, what is later this year and next year look like? And Brian, what advice do you share with farmers and ranchers who are looking at another tight year this year who are maybe expecting a little bit better commodity prices or maybe some rebound in the markets and then COVID-19 hit out of nowhere you know and and like you said restaurant demand really has has uh, impacted the demand we see for fresh produce and vegetables and all that stuff but how do you share with farmers and ranchers or what advice what can they be doing to ensure that their operation makes it through another tough year you know everybody right now uh and it's it's advice that that uh, other lenders are giving to their clients in other sectors which is we you, you we need to hoard our cash what cash we have we need to make sure we've got access the additional cash, if we have the ability to to borrow, uh, we need to make sure we're talking to our lender uh, about that, see if there's access to more. Um, if you're in a situation that that where you've got got um, either debt um, that you haven't talked to your banker or lender about in a while, and or you've got multiple 
obligations. It's a good time with rates where they are to to, to look to refinance and or consolidate and or otherwise lower lower the interest rate. Um, you know the, the the money money has a money is a and a, and it can be an expense when you're you're financing it and uh, right now uh, with rates the people have the ability to lower that expense if it's not something they've they've focused on recently so uh, you know we we tell people uh, access the capital as much as you can make sure you've lowered if you've got debt lowered lowered the rate uh, talk to your lender about um, making sure that is is uh, you know at a at a point that that um, as low as they can go and the and the third thing is just don't take too many unnecessary risks it's not time to throw a hail mary um, let's make sure that we're making decisions based on the facts at hand and there's still a lot of facts that we don't know, and uh, we don't need to be taking bets on on hope of of what may or may not happen in the economy later this year, next year. Brian, you know, you hit on something there that I have heard from a lot of ag lenders out in the countryside, which is that growers are seeing their operating notes need to be rolled over into the next year or perhaps even the third year. At that point, those lenders are saying, hey, let's look at, you know, recapitalizing on some of your equity, taking out some additional cash against your ground and, uh, you know, refinancing, bring that rate down and, uh, you know, securing a little bit more collateral for the bank. When you look at your overall portfolio, have you seen an uptick in that kind of uh, refinancing activity? Absolutely. We've seen our our business, our our um, our pipeline actually has increased over the last six weeks, and the primary driver of that is it's not farmers in in desperate measure trying to take desperate measures at this point. It's farmers thinking well i need to have access to capital and uh what it's now a good time with rates where they are to, to look to refinance and get access to more uh, more borrowings in terms of an operating line and do it all together uh, we're doing a lot of that of course uh you alluded to it a little bit earlier uh, we aren't seeing a lot of purchases land purchases right now we're not financing a lot of land purchases but um we are seeing quite a bit of, of refinance rollover activity. Well, Brian, we certainly appreciate your insight today. Thank you so much for joining us. That's been great. I appreciate it, Delaney and Mike. Well, again, a big thank you there to Brian. Good to catch up and chat about that, land prices and all the other things that we got to chat about, but we're always chatting about interesting topics like this on the Ag News Daily Podcast, aren't we, Mike? You bet, folks. Stay tuned. Later this week, we are going to chat beans and pulses, which is an interesting market we don't get the chance to talk about very much, and uh, we learned quite a bit, so we'll play that uh, later on this week. Stay with us. If you've missed any past episodes, find them on the website at agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Delaney House, we let the people go. Let's let them go. Let's let them go.